3 and 4, two chapters. It's going to be fast, um, but we are going to actually start with something new. Um, here, we're going to be reading out of uh, Proverbs 3. You don't need to go there. The, the words will be on, on the screen here, but um, you can kind of see some of those are up uh, here uh, already. So um, what we are going to do as we read is this thing that, that, that happens in church tradition, oftentimes with psalms, but, um, but with poetry, uh, it can be done as well. It's this, uh, the, the, the fancy church word is an antiphonal reading. Uh, so it's a call and response. Um, and so I'll read a line, and then you guys are going to read, I think they're in bold, the bold lines there. So we'll kind of go back and forth. And what ends up happening, this is really cool, what you can do this in your families as you read through the Psalms, because they're, they're nice little couplets there, um, is that you end up turning what is scripture and could be read as, you know, kind of a, a, a song, and you just look at it, to almost a conversation. And it's really cool how it, how it works. So, so as we do this, maybe be a little mindful. What, what are you saying? What am I saying? Um, how does that go? But it will set us up because it's going to provide a theme. And then after we read this proverb, uh, then we're going to drop right into uh, Amos. So uh, we're going to be learning a lot from, from the, uh, the wisdom literature and the prophetic literature today. So uh, if you are able to, um, could you stand out of reverence of God's words as we read together uh, the words of Proverbs Three. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Be not wise in your own eyes. It will be healing for your flesh. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, we'll be going through Amos, and that's why I felt uh, like we were, it was okay to go and, and, and bring about kind of a theme that we get from Proverbs, the discipline of the Lord. The question that I have oftentimes is, uh, is how do we know uh, when God is working in our lives? Uh, maybe a different question, how do we make sense of the not-so-fun stuff of life? Uh, I think that, that there are many ways in which we discern God's will or God's direction or God's guidance in our lives. Um, and, and it can go from anything just as, as big and pronounced as, uh, as illnesses, we wonder sometimes. Uh, um, financial hardships, broken relationships, those are kind of bigger things that oftentimes, uh, you know, a pastor gets called for counseling uh, when people are asking the big questions of God because something big happened. Uh, there are also little subtle things that maybe are, are maybe teeter more towards inconvenience, but sometimes we, if we're left on our own ends, sometimes we maybe over-spiritualize or over-interpret those. Things like um, uh, a massive amount of red stoplights. Uh, I guess they're always red, but yeah, you get that sometimes. What is God doing? Do you want me to be late? Um, bad grades. Thought you studied and you got some bad grades. Uh, general uh, difficulty in the transactions and the paperwork of life. It seems like something should be easy and then there are nine more forms to fill out. I think some of those, I'm giving a big spectrum, a very, very, very small thing, but a, a sampling, but a big spectrum of, of this idea that, that, that it's hard to sometimes tell what God's doing, how he's directing us. Um, and, and I really feel like 
as Christians, God has called us. The Bible gives a very, uh, very specific understanding that God loves his people and he uses his people to reflect him uh, so, that, so, that, so that people can look at us and we can help them in our lives, in our decision-making, uh, in the way that we speak and, and understand a little bit more of how the whole idea of God works and how he directs us. And I think if, we, uh, if we're honest, Sometimes we, we maybe break down into some, some categories that are helpful but limited. Uh, I think sometimes there's this idea, you know, over history we've definitely landed more in a, in a, in a rational, natural kind of, kind of sense of, uh, of reasoning through things. I get sick and I wonder, uh, what did I do to get sick? Uh, what, are the, what are the symptoms? How do I go about it? And then resolve it a certain way. Um, that's very, you know, and have a, have a plan on how to go about it. Um, or maybe I get into a financial pit and, and, and I go to a financial advisor who then kind of thinks through the idea with me. Now, I'm not saying that that's not a good thing to do and that's not real. It is good. It is real. And sometimes we have to understand those things uh, in, in a very logical, rational way because our God has revealed himself in a logical way rational way. But I think what I want to do, what I, not really what I want to do, what, what, what Amos is doing, what the prophets are really inviting us to is maybe to consider some of our situations first or, or maybe a little more on the, on the moral, the ethical, the, the, the spiritual side. Within the worldview of the Israelites who are hearing the message of Amos, their first thought was not, okay, what is logically, historically what we just did? Their first thought is actually, what have we done wrong? against God. That doesn't come up, if I'm honest, that doesn't come up too often in my thoughts. Uh, and I've been very convicted as we've been reading the prophets this summer that maybe I need to be thinking a little bit more that way. Now, I'm not saying that we, we go off into this, 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 this hyper-sentimental, mystical way of, of chalking up every small thing I trip and therefore what sin do I confess. I'm not saying go that far. I just want to help us build maybe a category here of, of thinking more, more uh, ethically, more morally, more spiritually in light of the way our life unfolds before us and be a little bit more mindful of how God is directing us. I think very, uh, when we turn to here, uh, Amos 3 and 4, I think there, there's a very clear, uh, maybe threefold structure uh, of how, uh, how, he, how God is revealing himself in light of this. It's very simple uh, kind of rigid, but it is, hear the Lord, stop acting, <laughs> stop acting like uh, you don't need him, and turn to Christ. So I want to develop that as we kind of give a survey of the text, but then really lean into this question of how do we know the Lord is disciplining us, and how do we rightly respond to that? There's importance in our own lives because God has called us, if we are Christians, to be a light to the nations, to be an example uh, of that, and we need to understand rightly how to process the Lord's interaction with his people. And so hopefully this gives us uh, a first-time thought for us or a, continue, a continuation of that thought process uh, that, that we might better understand and be edified and rightly respond to the Lord's discipline. So we get into this, this first uh, point here. Hear the Lord's loving warning. Uh, the first 11 verses, I'm just going to take them in huge swaths here. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 11 uh, give us this understanding that we are to hear the Lord's loving warning. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 uh, just to get us started, and then we'll kind of survey the rest. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you 
for all your iniquities. What is the Lord saying here? He's saying that you are a special people to me. So listen up. Uh, there's this language here uh, that, that we've mentioned already in Amos uh, that he says that I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he says, I have only known you. You are a specific people. The Israelites were specific people known by God. He says, you are my covenant family. I have entered into a specific relationship with you. You once were in Egypt as slaves. I, you were a slave people, which means you were the lowest of all people. You were the least promising of all people. You were the most unexpected of all people. But I, the Lord your God, chose you. I wanted to know you. I rescued you. I entered into a relationship with you. I think we can hear these words of Amos today because this same God acts in the same way to us today. Those of us who feel the lowest of all, who feel the least promising, who feel like the most unexpected, God extends himself to enter into a specific relationship with us. And it requires much. But he's got it. He's created a space so that we can work on holiness, so that we can work on our relationship even more. He then goes on into these verses uh, 3 and 6, and he asks these questions here. Uh, he, he has kind of this comparison thing. He says, um, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? So that's kind of his idea. Do things go together? There's a cause and effect. Things go together. He goes into verse 4. Does a lion roar in the forest when, there's, when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out when he, uh, from his den when he has taken nothing? There's a cause and effect. If there's food, there is a lion, and the lion is roaring. They're going together. Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there's no trap? So if a bird falls into a snare, there's probably a trap there to catch him. But on the other side, does a snare spring up if nothing falls into it? There's a connection here. There's a cause and effect to the way things are happening. Now, he's using language that's really intense because nothing's living at the end of these interactions, but uh, he's going to move that direction with his people. It says, is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come into a city unless the Lord has done it? So right here, he's bringing it back together. He says, there's a cause and effect relationship to the way things work. I, your God, your creator, have caused you into being. I have caused you to be a people. I have caused you to enter a relationship that has an interaction with each other. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will protect you. I will give you these blessings. He lays this out in the first five books of the Bible in great detail. But you will worship me alone. And that's, we read back a few verses, that's exactly what Israel is not doing. And so he says, listen up. Here's your warning. Now, I want to be careful, you know, as, as we're looking at the Bible, I don't want to model a bad way of, 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 of bringing ourselves too quickly into the text. Amos is speaking directly to the Israelites here. And so when I say there's a warning, they're not getting a warning right now. Uh, they've gotten warnings, and it's over. <laughs> this is punishment. He is, he is doling out punishment. He's explaining what their punishment will be. As we take these words, though, today, and we transition them over or transfer them to where we are at, these can be a warning to us to see God really does punish when he says he will punish. And so it is a warning to us, though at this point in Amos, he is saying, we're done here comes the punishment. 
And so he says, here it comes. And verse 7 through 11, he's explaining this punishment. And if there's one thing that, you know, one verse in this, I think that is maybe most helpful. I don't want to elevate them, but this one's really helpful for people who struggle with God and, and, and just his punishment and the whole idea of that. Verse 7 of chapter 3 of Amos. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. That is so powerful, and we need, we need that. Because I think sometimes when we think of God's punishment or the Lord's discipline or, or anything like that, there may be this idea of, of the, uh, the cruel puppet master in the sky. There's an idea of maybe this, this angry ogre that's ready to just, uh, you know, at, at a random whim because he's temperamental, just decide, uh, you get punishment today, you get punishment today, or because he just wants to show us he's bigger than us, he kind of bullies us around. There is, a, there is an easy way to read the Bible wrongly and to build a very good argument that God works that way. However, we get this idea here in, in, in Amos 3, 7, that the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So maybe I, I would suggest, what am I saying? I, I would suggest that maybe instead of thinking of God as surprise punishment, God is not giving a surprise punishment to the Israelites. He does not give us surprise punishment. Maybe if we think better, when we think of this idea of punishment more as a forewarned consequence. I told you this is going to happen. You touch the stove, you're going to get burned. Okay. Oh, Israel, you touched the stove. Now the burn. That's more of what happens with God. And so I think that that's, that's helpful. Is it fun to hear? No, it still hurts. But it, it, it changes the nature of God because he's giving not simply a vindictive punishment. He's giving a loving warning to us. It's out of his love that he reveals to his prophets, turn, O Israel. But it's also out of love that he reveals to his prophetic book, to us today, there is a warning. Here it is. And, it's, and it invites us to take heed the warning that he has given us in his word in the Bible. So then we continue on here, uh, and, I'll, and I'll summarize these, these verses here. As the Lord benevolently reveals his sovereign plan, the Lord the warring lion roars his battle plan against the military strongholds. If we look in there, the military strongholds, he's going against the religious sinners and he's going against the decadent homes. That's all in there in verses 9 through, four, or through 15. The Lord will destroy specifically, verse 14, because of the transgressions, the sins of Israel. He's going to take it out. The military is done. The religious sinners are done. The civic safety homes of decadence are done. All of society is gone because his people have not turned to the Lord when they were warned. And so this is their punishment. Hear the Lord's loving warning. And then we move into chapter 4. Chapter 4 through 5 is our next section here. Uh, and it's uh, <laughs> stop play acting holiness is the next point. Hear the words of the Lord. Stop play acting your holiness. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Hear this words, you cows of Bashan, who are on the, on the mountain of Samaria. That's Samaria is where the Israelites worship. So uh, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Okay, what a strange verse at first go. Um, what is it saying? It's saying, stop acting like nothing's wrong. Stop gathering together, he says, you, uh, you cows of Bashan. You're herding together on this holy mountain of Samaria. Uh, you're herding together here so that you can worship. This is kind of their place of worship. Uh, you're going to church and you're coming together and you're acting like churchy people. But all the while, you're oppressing the poor. 
You're crushing the needy. You're inattentive to all of the sins that you're doing throughout the week. You say things, oh, these are sins, but you're not actually thinking about the, the, the total depravity that you bring in to the church. You're just covering it up and acting like church is great. And he says, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. And then you go about your life like, hey, we went to church. This is great. This is awesome. Christianity is wonderful. And we live in this pseudo-prosperity uh, uh, gospel that, that because we go to church and we know God, things are just going to be nice. But there is great injustice happening that you're ignoring. And so he says in verse 2 uh, and 3 that the Lord's justice is overall and specifically on you, the ones I know, because you know better. He brings it up and he says in verses 2 and 3, the Lord is sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming when, and then I'll summarize the judgment will be upon you. And in, in their context, it's the, immediate, uh, it's the immediate punishment that's coming. The Assyrians are going to come and destroy them, and it's going to be brutal. I mean, to the level of hauling them out with fish hooks. So then we get to the final two, the final two verses. And I, and I love this, this, this attitude that God has uh, to his people, to us, to me, when I think, oh yeah, I'm okay. I sin, but I go to church quite a bit. Uh, I preach, so that should cover some of those sins, right? Especially if I doctor it up in a way that's like a nice illustration. Hey, here's my brokenness. There, We do this at a certain level. And he says, uh, we need to be mindful that our good deeds aren't thought of as covering our bad deeds because that's not the gospel. He goes on in verses 4 and 5 to have this tone of derision. This tone is brought up in, in Psalm 2. Uh, in Psalm 2, there's, there's this question. Why do the nations rage? Why do, why do the people plot in vain? Why do the rulers conspire? Why do they gather together? Maybe like cows on the hills of Bashan. Uh, why do they come together to go against the Lord? Saying, and what do they say? In, in Psalm 2, it says, they say, why are God's rules so constrictive? <laughs> why can't we just break free from these cords and these chains and these bonds? Why can't we just do what we want to do? Because isn't he loving and forgiving? giving? Or isn't he a bit vindictive? It seems a little harsh. And then in Psalm 2, we give this attitude of God when we come together and act like that. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Derision is contemptuous ridicule and mockery. It's as though the Lord is sitting there saying, I've got this taken care of. And he looks down on us when we, when we kick against the way that he's guiding us. And he says, come on guys, you just Okay, do your thing, but this isn't working. Like, this, is, this isn't good. What are you doing? This is ridiculous. And verses 4 and 5 of Amos 4, he, he has that tone. He's mocking them. He's not inviting them to come to Bethel, their place of worship, but he's mocking them about all of the play acting they do at church. Come to Bethel and transgress. So come to church and sin to Gilgal and multiply your sins. Bring your sacrifices. Bring your tithes every three days. Offer sacrifices. Do everything you possibly can to cover up your sin. And see how that's working for you. It's not. Because the Lord is here declaring punishment on you. I think that's a great warning for us. It's an indictment to them. Like, we're done. You haven't turned. You just made church cooler. But you didn't deal with your sin. As we process through how the Lord guides us, I feel like this is uh, maybe one, one way we can go with processing the Lord's uh, punishment or, or, or discipline is sometimes we can look at the world's brokenness 
And we can kind of default to the world's broken and that's why these bad things are happening. I think right here, when we think about this doctoring up our, our, our sin or play acting our holiness, this is really a, a, another avenue of, of that darkness of the world, which is Satan's attacks. Uh, Satan is a deceiver. And, and one of the things that he loves to do is so deceptively is to make us feel like we're okay. Is to make us feel like going to church and making church better and singing harder uh, and, and, and feeling it more is, is a good thing while we cauterize our hearts and don't actually feel the sin and the conviction that we need to. If we just have the good moments, that'll cover the bad moments. And more good moments will mean that we don't have time for the bad moments, but, but we sin all the time. So why is there brokenness in this world? I think sometimes, a lot of times, it's because the devil is attacking us and he's deceiving us in ways that make us think that we're okay. That is one of the big reasons why we confess our sin here, not because it's this rigid, old-fashioned tradition thing that we want to do, because it just gives us some words that are standard words for expressing that, oh yeah, the deceiver may have deceived me. I need to remember where we start. The Israelites are not starting there. Satan's attack is deceptive. Sometimes if we go the way of not acknowledging our sins, we think that more good is outweighing the bad. We're on the scale. That more church, more Bible, more prayer is going to cover any amount of drunkenness, any amount of pornography, any amount of jealousy, any amount of slander, any amount of unattentiveness to the hurts of our family. Those are things that are sins but they don't get weighed out by our goodness of coming to church. Doctoring it up right before we walk in as we just had a meltdown on the way to church in the car, whatever you're doing here doesn't take care of what happened there. It's still, it's both. You have to have another way. You can't cover your sin. So stop play acting your holiness, O Israel. Stop play acting your holiness Oh, American church today. And what is the answer then? Because God is so loving. He not only forewarns the consequences, but then he gives us that avenue to go to instead of just saying, it's all over, tough luck. He gives us something there. And that's what's mind-blowing about this God who doesn't have to do this. So the rest of the chapter of chapter four is return or turn or return to Christ. I'll explain uh, how we go about that. Verses 6 through 11, there's, there's kind of a refrain that happens here. If you, if you follow along here in your Bible, you look at the very last line or two of each of the verses. So it, it reads this, verse 6, Yet you did not return to me. Uh, what is it? Verse 7, Yet you did not return to me. Or verse 9, Yet you did not return to me. Verse 10, Yet you did not return to me. Verse 11, Yet you did not return to me. We're supposed to hear these things. God doesn't just run out of things to say and repeat. When he repeats, it's for emphasis. It's like when you, when you write something, you know, in pen, and then you write it again, and it gets a little bolder, and then you write it again, and it gets a little bolder. If you think about that, when you hear things over and over in the Bible, they're supposed to get bolder and bolder. And that's what he's saying. You did not return to me. So, okay, what did you do to help us return? It's really odd. Verse 6, I gave you cleanness of teeth, not like a dentist, but because you had lack of bread. He didn't clean our teeth. He gave us nothing to eat, so we starved and nothing got our teeth dirty. We had no bread. Uh, verse 7, I withheld the rain from you. Uh, let's speed ahead here. Verse 9, I struck you with blight. 
Verse 10, I, I sent among you pestilence. I killed your young men with the sword. I carried away your horses. I made a stench of your camp. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you. And then he likens it. It's not just overthrowing you. As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, which if you're my mom, that's like the worst. Like the worst people ever were Sodom and Gomorrah. If you don't do anything, God, right now, you're going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's my mom. I just quoted her. Um, I don't know if I agree with that, but she knows that I make fun of her sometimes. So she'll listen to this sermon, and then I'm in trouble. So, uh, whoops. Um, but what is he doing there? He's giving them warnings. It's not like he's saying, like, okay, now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to warn you and warn you and warn you. He's saying, past tense, I did all these things. You didn't wake up. You didn't turn from this. You were starving, and what did you do? Well, you didn't turn to me. It doesn't say what they did. I, I, I killed you guys. You, you guys lost so many wars. You young men were dying, which is the next generation that carries us. Yeah, we don't know what you did, but you didn't turn to God. I overthrew you. I struck you down with blood. Wake up. Turn to Christ. It is their punishment. But now... On this side of the cross, we can see it is our warning. God may discipline us to wake us up. God also, though, may discipline us to stretch us when we're doing good or prepare us for a season. And that's really where I want to land a lot of this, is, is what's going on with the Israelites in Amos? And maybe see how that can help us not go this way with them. Because if we read the last couple of verses, 12 and 13, I mean, he basically says, therefore... I'm going to destroy you. Prepare to meet your God. I love that. Prepare to meet your God. That's intense. The Lord, the God of hosts, the God of the angel armies is at war, and, and I'm going to prepare to meet you. Oof. We do not want to go that way. We do not want to be in the face of an angry God. What do we need to do? So if we, if we look at this, I've, I've mentioned this before, and this is really where I want to sit, you know, the... Uh, the rest of our time, is this idea of, of how do we know when it's the discipline of the Lord? Because I feel like if I were, if I were one of the Israelites right then, because I'm sinful and I'm arrogant, uh, I would say, yeah, when did you do that? You know, like, how did I know? Uh, how am I supposed to know that those were warnings? I just thought we were in a famine. How do I identify the Lord's discipline? I think sometimes if something goes wrong, whether it's, whether it's health or finances or property, or, or those are kind of big things, um, it's common for us to default to this idea that it's the brokenness of the world. We live in a broken world. It's a fallen world, and things are rough. So there's a systemic brokenness, and, and that's just kind of it. And then we go towards maybe, maybe assessing it and correcting it. Uh, when, it when a season of, of, of hardship is longer, or maybe there's a, a frequency of a pattern, you know, one kid's sick, and then, and then you're better, and the next kid's sick, and then the next kid's sick, and then you just keep going around, it's like six months of sickness. You start to wonder, wait, wait what's going on here? Maybe it's more intense Maybe it's not just a cold. Maybe it's something, uh, it's an illness that's, that's far greater. Or maybe when we have that spiritual realm in view, maybe we're pushed there or maybe we're already inclined to that, we can prepare ourselves to prayerfully and actively resist the devil that he may flee. I think we can, we can say this is an attack of Satan. But I find if you're like me, when we talk of holiness and spiritual formation, a lot of what I see in my own growth is, is really good stuff. I see this fruit and I see something there. But when I really start to talk about the sin in life, oftentimes, if, I mean, this, this is me speaking, is, as I as oftentimes say, oh, that's probably an attack from Satan or the brokenness of the world. And I'd invite us to maybe not always exclusively do this, but maybe build that category of 
maybe there's the Lord's discipline on me. If my holiness is of me and I can speak of it so easily, then maybe it's not a teacher that helped me learn this and, and maybe it's not God that's giving me this wisdom, but maybe I'm really proud and I'm learning. Maybe we also need to just own that side of it and say maybe I'm also the one who's sinning and there's a consequence here. And this is in line with, uh, with how God relates to his people in both the Old and the New Testaments. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a covenant relationship. There's a blessing and curse. And he says very specifically, it's going to go one way or the other, depending on whether you're faithful or not. There's a little bit of that that goes on with Christ. But this side of the cross, really the holiness that's there is, is that pursuit, that ongoing pursuit. Christ has taken all of this punishment that the Israelites would receive that we would receive, and he's put it on the cross. This man of sorrow song we just sang speaks exactly of that. That, that he, he cancels that debt that's there, and then there's this freedom. For freedom I have been set free. We sometimes think, oh, I can do whatever I want because there's forgiveness. That's not what it means. So there's freedom that I can more actively and without worry and confidently pursue holiness. That's what the freedom in Christ is. It's that I know the big thing is taken care of. I'm not going to get smited or smote or I'm not going to get get destroyed but there is a freedom that I can go as fast as I can towards holiness and that is the direction that we're given this is this turning to Christ there is a physical turning yet you did not turn we're looking one way at our sins at the old self we could say and then there's a turning to Christ that happens when we become Christians, when we acknowledge our sin, when we, when we confess that, and when we ask for God or Christ to forgive those sins, and we truly believe that, then there's a turning, and, and this is speaking of that direction. Where do we go with that direction? The author of Hebrews quotes Proverbs 3, what we just read. He quotes Proverbs 3 and develops it a bit in light of Christ. I think we have one of those slides up there, uh, verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews 12. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? You get that, as sons, my specific, special people. My son, do not re uh, regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So I think they've made a pretty clear case that Amos is doling out punishment and we receive that warning to consider the discipline of the Lord. And I maybe want to ask maybe three simple questions of just that idea. I'm just building a category four discussion. If you have thoughts or, or want to dialogue more about this, that connect card, it's great. Just throw some of those down. Put them in the, in the plate uh, when, we, when we do collection, and I will follow up with you. I, I, I want this to be more of a discussion because it's a big, big deal, and no sermon is going to tackle all of it. So three questions maybe to help us frame up this, 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 this category of the Lord's discipline. Who, do, who, do, uh, who receives the Lord's discipline? Uh, how does the Lord's, uh, uh, what is it? How does the, the Lord's discipline uh, look in our lives? And uh, why does the Lord discipline us? So in Hebrews 6, I think, can we put that back up on the screen? Uh, it says two things here. Who gets the Lord's discipline? Well, the first thing it says is... Uh, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. So this is good news for us because it means that discipline is for our good. I mean, we look at Amos 4, there's no indication of how long the Lord's discipline took. But we know that there was purpose in it, that they would turn. The Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked, but that they would turn. He delights in the turning, but they didn't turn. 
All we can really gather from maybe uh, what we read in, in Amos 4 is this, this truth that is, is very much a part of all of Scripture is that the Lord conducts His discipline with patience, with intention, and with a heavy love. Uh, he, he feels it. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to kill these people. <laughs> he doesn't want to send blight on His people. Just as maybe if, if, if you've, if you've uh, parented there's a heavy discipline that needs to take place sometimes. And, and I would say good parents will lean into it in the way that God leads into it. And, 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 and I guess bad parents will say, this is too heavy, I don't want to do this in the moment, let's just get it, get it over with. Maybe we can, we can take a page out of, of God's book on fathering and suggest that he conducts his discipline with patience, with intention, seeing the ultimate goal of what the discipline is, and with a heavy, careful love. Discipline is for our good. Who else does the Lord discipline? It's right here at the very end of that verse 6. And he chastises everyone whom he, uh, every son in whom he receives. Now here's where I've got I've to draw the line, because I think it could be easy for anyone and everyone to be sitting here and say, wow, this is for me. Well, this isn't for everyone, actually, uh, because it's, it's, it's the son in whom he receives. The Lord's discipline is for those who believe because those are the ones who are the sons and daughters of Christ. So what is this text then doing for people who have not confessed their sin and, and, and believed Christ forgives their sin? If, if that's you, this is actually an announcement of punishment on you. Like 12, verses 12 and 13, you will be destroyed, the wrath of God on you. That's actually for you still. Those who have confessed their sin, that wrath is on Christ and this is how he deals with us in our, in, our, in our ongoing work of sanctification. So this text does kind of serve on this side of the cross as a warning and as an announcement of punishment. Until you believe and understand that your sin, uh, that you sin, and that Christ died for the forgiveness of sins, everything today is simply a warning of the coming punishment for your sin. But if you do believe, or if you don't believe, if you reject the words that are in Scripture today, you reject the words that are in Scripture always, the warnings that God gives us, if you reject it as the Israelites did or as others do, then this is warning of coming punishment. Amos 4, 12 and 13 says, Therefore I will do to you, O Israel, because I do this to you, prepare to meet your God. So then, okay, who is the Lord's discipline on? It's on his sons. It's on his daughters. It's on the believers, and he's disciplining us. So then, how does the Lord discipline? There's a caution that the Lord's discipline is not a one-to-one. Um, so, uh, as I kind of referenced, if you stub your toe, we may, it may not be the Lord's discipline. You may not have to confess a sin there. Uh, uh, that that if, if something, you know, you get sick, it may not be that you have sinned. It may be something else. And, and we can go a, a wrong way if we over-spiritualize uh, the bad things in our lives. But we may see some of these things, whether they're our own fault or not, as a guiding hand of God. Here's a, a really great illustration. I'm going to read a, a pretty good quote here because uh, Pastor John Piper is really good at, uh, at developing these ideas. He casts this, this idea of the Lord's discipline in the image of shaking up a snow globe. Uh, so uh, here we go. He says, we forget that God's hand of discipline 
may be on us, not simply to punish us because we've been bad, but to stretch us and broaden us in what we are doing well. Job, uh, remember, was described as being an upright man and blameless. And God gives Satan permission to beat up on him. It wasn't because Job was acting in any overt, sinful way that needed discipline. But it did turn out in the end that Job had some sediment of pride at the bottom of his heart that got, jost that got jostled up in the shaking. And that's the picture to develop. He's got this sediment at the bottom of your snow globe. You shake it up through a, a situation, a circumstance, or whatever it would be. And then you see, whoa, there it comes. There's that sediment of sin. I was just talking with someone before this, uh, talking about grad school. <laughs> we enter grad school sometimes uh, uh, for, for we knowing that it's, uh, that it's intense uh, and knowing that it's, that it's, a, that it's a time. And it may not be a sin to enter the grad school, right? Uh, there's a good end in it. And so the grad school isn't punishment, though it feels like it. There you go. Because grad school sometimes is a shaking up of your snow globe. You didn't do anything wrong, but we got to work on you as well. And you're going to crush you in, in a lot of these assignments so that you understand more about yourself. So it's not always a punishment. There may be just an enlightening that comes from a really difficult extended season. And that is the Lord's discipline. And so maybe, uh, maybe the question is uh, to always ask yourself, oh, uh, I apologize, I wrote this. How's it shaken? Ask yourself that. I feel like that's an inappropriate joke right now. Uh, what, are your, what are you seeing? And I think that, that if we think about that snow globe, what's happening in life is shaking it up. We'll never actually see this if we don't slow down and observe the snow globe. We especially we'll just see a whole bunch of snow floating around. We won't be able to identify it if we're not actually looked into the book that reveals his plan and, and identifies that sin. If I just see general categories of I'm a sinner, okay, there's snow in here. But if we start to get to those pointed things that are actually my sin, and not just say slander, but like actually name in my own heart, what is that slander? specifically, who is it against? What is the content? If we start to do that as we go through Scripture, we're going to start to see that snow globe looks a little bit more like slow motion, and we can identify that sediment there. And it's an act of purification. So why does the Lord discipline? This is just what I was saying. Dr. Wayne Grudem, a theologian, he gives a helpful definition of this. You can read it on the screen. He says, sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more like Christ in our actual lives. That is a great definition of sanctification, the ongoing work of becoming more holy. I think that uh, Paul in Romans talks about it as a slave. We turn from a slavery toward our, our, our wickedness now to a slavery of righteousness. We, 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 we bind ourselves to that righteousness and, and we chug along and we move along that way. Here's maybe an example or two uh, of my own life of where I see that because it, it seems like we're kind of up in the clouds here. Uh, this past uh, spring, uh, my dad passed away. Uh, well, my dad, he died. And, and I, um, we have a very strained relationship. It was really difficult to work uh, with him, talk with him, to love him. Uh, many of you have, have talked through some of these things. But he dies, and then I volunteer to give the eulogy. 
which if you have a strange relationship with a parent is like, oh, this is the Lord's discipline in my life. And I embraced it as such. I had to ask myself every day I was writing that thing, how do you speak well of him who you've slandered for so long? That is an act of the Lord's discipline. See, I don't, I don't feel like I did anything wrong in that week, but I had to hash out all of these sins for decades of all the things that I said. And now I'm on the mic in front of people, last words, how do I celebrate this? And I had to work out that. And it was tear-filled and brutal, and it still <laughs> is rough. Another one is this idea of um, a few weeks ago, we, um, we went on vacation. It was one of the first vacations we've had because whatever reason you want to give. And we go away to the lake, and it was great. I'm not preaching, and so I'm not writing a sermon in the morning before vacation. You know, it starts. And I go down the whole week. I was in bed because I was sick. It was, and it was rough. And it was the thing where I was like, you know, I didn't even think about it because I'm just like so miserable. I'm just like not even thinking. And then there's a question that comes up, you know, in my mind. Of like, mm, I wonder if this is the Lord's discipline. Uh, I don't know. And I kind of I blow it away. But then we get home, and, and, and God uses my wife to say something. She didn't say it exactly like this, but the Spirit then took it and it hit, my, hit my heart. And in the Lord's discipline, he says, maybe this illness isn't just some weird illness. Maybe this illness is a big red flag to discipline you from turning from your workaholism. And that's something I'm working through right now. And maybe you needed to know that you're not going to give vacation until you actually do work and figure out rest. And that's a tough one. So I, honestly, for me, that's, that's a really raw one because that's only a couple weeks old. And I'm still right in that. If you could pray for us as we kind of work through this and figure out what it is. It's really easy. I wanted to give you some really pointed examples of that because it's easy to say, oh yeah, I said a red thing about someone. But this is where it gets real. Because we have sins that maybe God is stretching or is, is rooting out. But we also have things that maybe we do well that he's just going to put us through a hard time to develop us more. And it may not be for preparation for something. It may be, but maybe not. Maybe he's just putting us through this season for our own good and his glory. So I'll give a quick rundown. Here are a couple things that, just to recap. Here are some things we do to take away. Hear the Lord. Learn and identify the difference between your sin, the devil's temptation, and the world's brokenness. This is going to require biblical knowledge. You can get lists of sins in the Bible. I don't think lists of sins are helpful. It's legalistic. Read the Bible as it's revealed and then note the sins that are there. That's the best way to do it. So what I would give you is read Amos 3 and 4 and think about that. Stop play-acting holiness. God speaks of his people as a stiff-necked people. When your kids do things that are wrong and you yell at them, they get stiff. They act like they don't hear. Don't do that to God but lean into it. Receive that. Soften your hearts and soften your necks. Receive his discipline. Confession is incomplete without a pattern of change. We can come here and confess our sins every single week. And until I confess sins over and over, I may have something that I don't like to confess over and over and over, but I'm going to continue to confess over and over in a way that these people gather and act like there's nothing wrong, but this is the thing I do every week. And all of a sudden you get into rhythm of saying, oh yeah, I just come to the table every Sunday and I confess this sin. Do something about it. <laughs> You're just looking at your sin and confessing your sin. You haven't turned to Christ unless you take a step toward Christ. Turn from it. If you've confessed a sin and thought of it for the last four or five weeks in a row, I will be that voice to say, do something about it. <laughs> 
you got to take action on it. That's the Spirit convicting you in that. And then the big point is turn to Christ. When we turn to Christ, we do two things. We look away from our previous way and we look at our current task. We want to be a repentant people. We want to be uh, a people who confess and understand our sin and, and, and follow the Lord's guidance. But I want to be careful to say, this is a theme for the whole day, those are all subsets of holiness. Confession is not the point. Holiness is the point. Confession without action isn't actually pursuing holiness. It's just saying, oh, we probably aren't that holy. So we need to take action on this. We'll give, uh, we'll give some time here to pray. Um, and, and I just want you to, to think, just a moment in the prayer, just to think. I know there are kids uh, in with us now, but to think, what is something I gotta work on? I'm sure it'll come pretty fast. We've got a lot of time to think about this right now. Uh, and if it doesn't come, then you're gonna need to take that time. Maybe when you have that pause staring at our weedless garden, you could think, what are, my, what, are my, uh, what are my sins? What is that thing I've got to work on? Even one can get you into the habit, can get you into the discipline of a better habit, of a better way of righteousness. Hear the Lord, stop acting like nothing's wrong, and turn to Christ. This is the potent, powerful, wonderful, benevolent word of our Lord in Amos 3 and 4. Let's pray.